Let's open our Bibles tonight to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. For those of you who felt that my number of examples this morning and that we did were insufficient or that I didn't turn you to enough of them, before I end up anywhere tomorrow, there'll be an outline on the internet for you to see a small sample. If you were to take all the examples in the Bible of God's preachers, it just about takes a large chunk of the book itself because much of it is his prophets and his apostles preaching and teaching his people. A brother said to me this morning after the sermon, he said, are you thankful that your job description is so clear? He said, we get tired of working with job descriptions that aren't so clear and, and wondering if we're really pleasing our boss and if we're doing what he really expects out of us. And I remember those days. And yes, I am thankful because the Bible gives me clearer direction than many of you have when you go to work tomorrow. And so I am thankful for that. This morning I preached to you a message about rude preachers, and tonight it's a little different. I want to talk about preaching itself right. from 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let me begin by reading the first two verses. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Amen. Amen. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Amen. And I'll stop there for now. This is the middle of a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to his ministerial understudy, Timothy. A personal letter, and he invokes this kind of a formal charge to Timothy. I charge thee. But I want you to notice the therefore. I have tried to teach you to ask when you see a therefore, because a therefore tells you context is very important to this sentence. Right. We ask the simple question, this is for you children, when you see a therefore, you should ask, what is it there for? And there's a reason why we have a therefore, the fourth word in 2 Timothy 4.1. I have taught you this before. 2 Timothy 3.1 to 2 Timothy 4.5 is one paragraph of thought. It is the perilous times of the last days. Right. And you shouldn't hardly read any of it without reading all of it because it all goes together. Right. The first five verses of chapter 3, he described the character traits of a generation of carnal Christians. Right. Then beginning in verse 6, he began describing false teachers in that generation of carnal Christians. They creep into houses they go after women. Their doctrine is their their heresy is going to be made manifest to all men. They're no more sincere or godly than were the magicians of Pharaoh himself when Moses was before Pharaoh. Right. And it's and he says that these seducers are going to wax worse and worse. Up through verse 13. Then he tells Timothy, But you stay with what you've heard and what you've been taught since you were a little child from the word of God by your mother and your grandmother and what I've taught you, you stay with those holy scriptures because they are able to make the man of God perfect. 
So that verse that we've all memorized, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, that verse is given as the remedy, the cure, the antidote for the perilous times of the last days. And he ends up in verse 17 that scripture, Timothy, is able to make you perfect. I charge thee, therefore, given that we are living in perilous times and they're coming, many false teachers, scripture can make you perfect. I therefore charge you to do this job, preach the word, and be instant in season and out of season. Proper preaching. Some people try to distinguish between preaching and teaching. And if you try to find that distinction in the Bible, you won't find it. Preaching is just public teaching. If there is any difference between preaching and teaching, it's teaching is done in a very small group and can be done one-on-one, and you don't usually preach to one person if you want to make a distinction at all. But preaching and teaching are the same thing, and to get confused by them, and some denominational groups do, is, is to run into an error and to begin justifying a form of public speaking that the New Testament does not justify. Preaching is public teaching. It is a public religious discourse to communicate information and knowledge and to cause people to understand something. That's what preaching is. Some try to distinguish between preaching and teaching, where preaching is an entertaining art form of a certain tonal quality and a certain cadence and a certain rhythm that makes people feel warm and good, but doesn't teach them a whole lot. But that's not found in the Bible. Those same people would say that teaching is an organized instruction of a body of knowledge, and they consider that rather boring and dull. They'll they'll make statements like this. He is a great teacher, but he doesn't know how to preach the gospel. I've heard that many times. He's a great teacher, but he doesn't know how to preach the gospel. There is no difference between the two things. The people that say that, what they mean by preaching the gospel is telling everybody something they already know in some sort of a chant, melody, tonal, rhythm, cadence, in some way that pleases that particular little group. But that's not what the Bible is. I'm not up here to entertain you whatsoever. I'm up here to lay out as much Bible as I can in the amount of time that I have for you to know the mind of God on whatever subject has been chosen. They'll say he's a great preacher, but he's not a very good teacher. What? They go together. When you hear anybody talking that way, they have put preaching out here in a category of its own, which is making a pleasant sound rather than delivering a lot of knowledge and information. And that does not exist in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul never made a pleasant sound for anyone. He said his sound was pretty bad, and so did everyone else. He said his sound was rude, and everyone else said his sound was contemptible. That doesn't work. It doesn't fly in the Bible. That's that's foreign to Scripture. If you were to run the Scriptures, then I'm not going to take the time tonight to show you in the places where it just tells you over and over that preaching and teaching are the same thing, same purpose, same result. If, If you get a warm result from an entertaining pulpit presence or delivery style, it is the flesh, it is not the spirit. If you get a warm result from what is done in the pulpit and the sound of the words, not the sense of the words, but the sound of the words, that is the flesh. I can do the same thing with an organ. I can do the same thing with special music. I can do the same thing. I could do it for you, but I don't do it. 
It would take more work. Uh, some men have a gift for it. And some men, because they've grown up in a denominational system, can emulate and copy and parrot that until they can make everybody feel warm and good when they leave, and all it's been is a sound rather than sense. Right. They'll say on the way home, that was a great sermon. And you can ask them, well, what did you learn? Well, I don't know. It was just, it, I, I just feel good. Well, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? We're to pray with the Spirit and pray with the understanding. We're to sing with the Spirit and sing with the understanding. And I'll tell you one thing, we better preach with the understanding, Amen. not just making a sound. Right. Don't tell me it was a good sermon unless you learn something. Because all preaching is to teach you something. They read in the Word of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused the people to understand the reading. Let's go to Nehemiah 8. I, I, everybody knows about the passage, but you've got to see it. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 8. One verse. We'll quickly read it and go on. Proper preaching. Proper preaching is public teaching. It's communicating information and knowledge as efficiently as possible. A preacher is supposed to be apt to teach. Did you know that it nowhere says apt to preach? Right. That's to help all the people that thinking preaching is an art form. It says apt to teach. You know, and some, some preachers are going to be rather boring from a preaching standpoint, but they're going to be able to teach. Every sermon ought to be measured by, did I learn something? Was I reminded again of what the Bible teaches? Here's a great preaching service, Nehemiah 8.8. 8. This is what we believe about preaching. Amen. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Amen. That is Bible preaching. Yep. Do you know what? That's pretty simple. But I must admit, because of what the Bible tells me, that not everyone can do it. Right. Some men can get up and read distinctly and give the sense and cause people to understand the reading better than others. And it's that aptitude to teach that is one of the qualifying marks of a man that ought to be ordained to the ministry because he's supposed to be apt to teach. He's supposed to be able to get up and say something, and you are moved in the sense of learning by it. You, come, you learn things. You're reminded of things. You're convicted of things because he is able to logically connect points together so that you walk away with something other than just a feeling. That's what we believe about preaching. Now let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4 because tonight I want to talk about instant preaching to you for just a couple of minutes. Before I was ordained, I was taught by a man that at that time I highly regarded for his knowledge of the Bible that to be instant in season and out of season in 2 Timothy 4.2 is to be able to preach at the drop of a hat. I should be able to just jump up at any time when anyone calls on me and be able to preach on a, at a moment's notice because it says to be instant in season and out of season. Now, that's just a lame use of the English language and a total missing of the context. Right. There's a, this is a certain kind of preaching that is going to be called upon more in the perilous times of the last days because of the great carnal Christianity that's going to be threatening every soul and every church. Amen. And that instant preaching is to be pressing and urging and insistent in its delivery of God's word. But let's go back to verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, and Paul drops some names to, to convince Timothy that he's serious about this point. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and he just doesn't let Jesus go. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Now that is a formal verse. And that's in the middle of a personal letter. Do you realize that? I'm sorry it's hot. I'm hotter. I'm sorry it is hot in here tonight. And it was no offense to anyone. I wish I had a fan. Look at that in a personal letter that Paul would tell Timothy and drop names to convince Timothy of the importance of what he's, the responsibility that he's laying on him. That is weighty to me. This is in the middle of private correspondence between Paul and Timothy. Now, the Lord's used it by inspiring this whole letter for us to have as an epistle in our New Testaments. But that's verse 1. This is obviously very serious. If God's men are going to stand up and fight the greatest threat to the true churches of Jesus Christ, it is to fight a war against carnal Christianity. What is carnal Christianity? Christians who are in love or who are befriending the world. Christians who have a form of godliness but do not live a holy life. Christians who are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That third chapter is not describing the world. The world has always been that way. The third chapter is describing Christianity that has degenerated. And the antidote is for ministers to get serious and to be preach the word. So we come down to verse 2, preach the word. And oh, I'm thankful that I've got the word to preach. Most ministers of my father last night at our family devotions wanted to remind me why the ministers that he grew up among and that he went to seminary with had so little authority in the pulpit. And one of the fundamental reasons is they didn't believe they had a Bible. Do you know that? They don't, they don't know if it, they don't believe it's the King James Bible. They don't believe it's any version in our language. And they know they can't find the originals, so they don't really have a Bible. So when they read the words, preach the word, it's just a general preaching of the general idea of what the Bible says because they know they don't have the real thing. We believe we've got the real thing so much so that we can preach every word of God. We can read Proverbs 30 and verse 5, and it says every word of God is pure, and we believe it. We'll argue from every single letter, every single word, whether it's a singular or a plural noun in Galatians 3.16 or what verb tense is in John 8.58. We'll argue from any one of them because we believe the Bible. We, I have something to preach. So my job description is quite clear, and I'm very thankful for it. So I preach to you the word, my opinions. I don't tell you very many stories. I don't give you very many opinions. I do have opinions, and I hope the only ones that ever come through this pulpit are opinions formed from the word of God. Amen. And I hope that all of our opinions are getting conformed to think the Bible. Right. We want to think scripture. We want to think God's thoughts. We want to have the mind of the Lord. That is a, that is a noble ambition. To, is it possible? Is it possible for someone to have the mind of the Lord? Yep. Is it possible Amen. for all of you to have the mind of the Lord? Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.15 tells me it's possible. Amen. In fact, Paul assumed it, that we have the mind of Christ. Right. Right. But do you know how we bring that mind of Christ into activity? It's through the proper preaching of his word. Right. Now look what it says. It says preach the word. We understand what that means. It means public teaching of the word of God. It means to read the word of God distinctly and give the sense and cause people to understand what your king has sent as a message to you on what you are supposed to be doing and what he is going to do for you and what the consequences are of sin. This is a message from your king. I am his ambassador. I read his message distinctly. I give the sense, and I cause you to understand what he wants you to know 
from him. You do not perceive it as the word of men because it isn't. It's the word of God as it is in truth. That's how the Thessalonians took Paul's preaching. But it goes on to say, be instant in season, out of season. Be instant. Now, I agree that instant sometimes refers to time. You can do something in an instant. But here it's used as an adverb. It's got an adverbial use here that is modifying how preaching and being instant. It's describing a way in which a man preaches the word of God. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Let's look at a reference or two. Look at Luke chapter 7. Let's look at Luke chapter 7. Now, we can't spend much time here. We shouldn't have to. You've all been taught this before, but I want to lay, lay it on thick tonight that God's ministers have got to preach instantly. Right. And I'm going to explain what that means. And I've already said it once, but I'll, here's the second time. To be instant means to be insistent, pressing, and urgent. And given the perilous times of the last days, I hope it all makes sense to you why it is stuck right there in 2 Timothy 4.2. Look at Luke 7.4. A certain centurion had a sick servant who was ready to die in verse 2. Verse 4, And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. These servants were begging Jesus Christ to come and rescue the centurion's servant that was sick, and they were doing it in a very pressing way as they pressed upon the Lord Jesus Christ their need for healing. Look at chapter 23. Luke 23. Luke 23 and verse 23. Here are the Jews at the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ. 23, 23, and they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. Do you know why they prevailed? Because they were instant. What does it mean to be instant? They were insistent. You will crucify this man or you're going to have a revolt on your hands. Right. They were pressing and they were urgent. That is what the word means. You can go look it up in a dictionary. Do you want to hear what it means in a dictionary? Pressing, urgent, importunate. Set of persons and their actions. That's what it means. Okay, we're back in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Sometimes it's good hunting and sometimes it isn't. Every, every wise father knows that sometimes his family is receptive to something he's about to bring them or they're not going to be very receptive and it's going to be a hard sell. Do you, all, do you know what all those words mean, receptive and be, having a hard sell? Every minister gets up and he knows. He knows the state of his congregation. He can, he can feel it in the spirit. He knows the state of their souls if he pays attention. And he knows whether it's going to be a hard sell or an easy sell. An easy sell is in season. A hard sell is out of season. If the, if the congregation, the hearers are receptive, it's in season. If they don't really want to hear that, if it's going to really bend them, that's out of season. Do you know what Paul says about that? Preach the word and be instant anyway. It doesn't matter whether they want to hear it or they don't want to hear it. Amen. Preach it. Preach the word. Be instant. Be pressing. Be urgent. Be importunate. Be insistent whether the people want to hear it or not because that doesn't have a thing to do with it. But you know there's a whole brand of preachers today that preach what the people want to hear. All they look for is what's in season this year. And you know with, with Hollywood's been helping out the last couple of years so they preach a lot about angels. You know, why don't we have a series on angels? I could preach you a message or two on angels in about 
a message or two and I've, I've run my course. You know, what else is it to tell you about an angel? But we could take six months and preach about angels. And see, then it'd be in season. Do you know why they love to hear about angels? Because they can go home and watch anything they want on television. They can listen to anything on the radio or their CD player on their way home from that service. They can do anything they want because that preacher didn't tell them anything that they ought to be doing to make war against carnal Christianity. Amen. Because knowing about angels ain't going to help you one bit in fighting the war against carnal Christianity. Amen. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Now here are some further explanations about what a man's to do when he's preaching. And I can't find the word comfort there or stroke or flatter. I've looked. I've thought that maybe they were in the Greek. But I couldn't find comfort, stroke, or flatter. All I can find are these words. Rebuke. Reprove. Out of order. It's, the order is reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. What does it mean to reprove? To express disapproval of something that someone is doing. That's easy to understand, isn't it? To reprove someone is to express disapproval that God is not pleased with what they're doing. To rebuke someone is to just do it a little harder. Right. To rebuke someone is to reprove them and to chide them, to get downright tough with them about what they're doing is sin and it's wrong. To exhort is to admonish earnestly and to urge by stimulating words to proper conduct. It's to encourage and push and move you to want to do what's right. So preaching the word is to be, and doing it instantly, is to be pressing and urgent upon people, no matter how they're receiving it, to reprove them for their wrongdoing, rebuke them for their wrongdoing, and push them and move them to right doing. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. And a minister is to do that with all long suffering. That means he's to, he's to be able to patiently endure the fact that his people don't want to hear it. That doesn't mean that he has long suffering and leaves them in sin. And if it takes them two years to get out, he's willing to wait two years. That long suffering is his ability to suffer an unpleasant audience reaction of his people, of his hearers. Right. Can you think of any prophet in the Old Testament that was told they're not really going to like what you're going to tell them, but don't really let it bother you? To be long-suffering, just keep doing it because it's what I want you to do. Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Make your forehead as hard as an adamant flint. Don't you worry about any of their looks. Don't you dare get intimidated by their looks. You just keep on preaching what I've told you to preach. That is instant preaching. You're not going to judge me. And I don't ever say that disrespectfully to you. I have a worse judge. And I will be accountable for every sermon, every word that I've said. I'm thankful that he's got some mercy, but he will hold me accountable. And that's why Paul started out with verse 1. Right. I charge before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Those are sober words. That's what keeps me in line. It's amazing how people think that more elders or a bigger church or some check and balance will keep a minister in line. There is one balance, a check and balance, that keeps a minister in line. It's 2 Timothy 4.1. Amen. ordain the right men who have the right qualifications who fear God and that's all the balance you'll need that's true. Right. the Catholic Church has more checks and balances in, among its priests than can be imagined and you want to you talk about them listen a priest can't do anything he is totally at the mercy of all of his authorities but look at what happens 
That isn't the safeguard. The safeguard is right here in your hands. Amen. You have something that protects you and this church. The day I wander away from this Bible and start preaching something outside the covers of this book, then you have all the grounds and you throw the book at your, you take it up with your pastor in a respectful and proper way, but that is your protection. And as a minister, verse 1 is the protection. You say, but there's men that don't fear God. Well, they shouldn't be in the ministry and you shouldn't be sitting there listening to them. Right. And they're going to expose themselves rather quickly. And so you take them to task with the word of God in a respectful way. That's what verse 2 means. But it adds their doctrine at the end. You know, re reproving, rebuking, and exhorting is not just getting all angry and tearing into a congregation for what they're doing wrong. It's to also be laced with instruction, which is doctrine. Doctrine is just a body of instruction. And so that one verse has my job description. Preach the Holy Bible. You do it pressing and urgently because of the danger of the times, whether they want to hear it or not. You tell them that they are wrong and you get down on them when they are sinning. You exhort them to what they ought to be doing and don't get discouraged when they don't like what you're teaching them and fill them with instruction. That's verse 2. Verse, let me give you another verse. If you turn just over to the right, one page. One page in my Bible will be maybe one page in your Bible. One page over to the third pastoral epistle. I want you to see Paul saying something very similar to Titus. Last verse of chapter 2, Titus 2.15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Does that sound similar? Amen. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. That's preaching. Remember, preach the word. This is preaching. Speaking and exhorting and rebuking with all authority. Let no man despise thee. There would be men that would despise ministers. And Paul told Titus, don't let any man despise you. You are an ambassador of the king of kings. There's no man on earth that is anything in comparison. You're representing him, let it go. Preach it all. Don't hold back a thing. And if you go through Titus chapter 2, we've got instructions there for the old men, the old women, the young men, the young women, and ministers. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. See, it's not just teaching about Jesus Christ dying on the cross. It's not just about God electing us before the foundation of the world, it includes all those duties as well in this second chapter. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. All of that is preaching the word. Amen. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, which is just one page back to the left now. Let's go to verse 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. This is why this preaching is to take place and why ministers have to be reminded to be insistent preachers because a time was coming when there would be many preachers. They'll heap them. They'll heap to themselves teachers. I mean, it's a big pile of them. You know the Benny Hins and the Jack Van Empies and all those that I mentioned this morning? There's a great big pile of them. Our city has over 400 Baptist churches. 350 of them are probably cousins to Jack Van Empey and Benny Inn. You just got to go visit them and find out. They're preaching what the people want to hear. The people don't want to hear the truth anymore. They've turned unto fables. And those men will give them the fables. And so they heap to themselves teachers because they've got lust. They want to be entertained. They've got the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. They want to be. They have their ears scratched. Pleasant things to their ears. 
holding your finger at 2 Timothy 4, come back to Isaiah 30 and see that this has always been a problem. It was just going to be a bigger problem in the perilous times of the last days. The time will come. That's not future tense for us. Go visit some other church. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is the preaching of verse 2. They'll not endure it. And it takes endurance. I know that. I know. You have to sit there so long. Parts of your body get sore. Your mind gets sore. Your ears get sore. With my, my voice is like a chainsaw. I know. It takes endurance. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And God made it that way. God made it that way. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers and there's a great big pile of them out there having itching ears and they'll turn away their ears from the truth. I don't want to hear the truth. You say, nobody would say that. I don't want to hear the truth. Give us some fables. Nobody would say that. Well, they don't like putting it in just those words, but let's see if anybody's ever said that. Isaiah 30 and verse 8. Isaiah 30 and verse 8. God to Isaiah. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. And we've got it, don't we? Yep. You've got it in your hand. Do you realize you've got a note table, a note table from Isaiah himself in your hands? Yep. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. They don't want that instant preaching. It's out of season to them. They don't want to hear it. Verse 10, which say to the seers, see not. A seer is one who sees the future and is to tell them what they ought to do in particular unique circumstances. They're prophets. A particular kind of a prophet was a seer who could foretell the future and gives God's will in a matter that hadn't yet been revealed. He's a seer. Enough on that, but watch. Which say to the seers, see not. We don't want you to see God's will for us. And to the prophets, here's what they say. Prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. If you got to tell us a lie, then go ahead and tell us a lie. But don't keep telling us right things. Right. Say, nobody would be that wicked. Our whole nation is. Right. And most Christians are. Right. Brethren. What did the billboard for the First Baptist Church of Malden say for the last couple of years? If you come back, we promise not to throw the book at you. Where did that come from? That is a church administrative board approving Isaiah 30, 8 through 11 for their church and putting on a billboard to the whole community. If you come back, we won't throw the book at you. Can you believe it? A church is supposed to be where you go to have the book thrown at you. Right. Isn't that what you come here for? Amen. I hope it is. It's all that I'm good at. It's a, in our own town. If you come back, we promise not to throw the book at you. It sounds like Isaiah 38 through 11 to me. Look at what these people say to their prophets in verse 11. Get you out of the way. Don't stay in the way of righteousness. Why don't you get over here and try some innovations? We'd like some casual worship. We want some contemporary worship. Get out of the way of the old paths. Let's try a new way. Right here. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. 
Didn't the Lord say there is a straight gate and a narrow way that leads to life? And they're saying, we don't want that way. We want the broad one. Can we branch off a little bit? Can we have a little bit more music? Can we have a little bit more entertainment? In Isaiah 30, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We are tired of doctrine. It bores us. It's too hard. It's too cold. It's too formal. It's too frightening. It doesn't draw the crowds. This is what's going down in the churches of America for the last 30 years. Since the Beatles and Elvis Presley and other pagan perverts like them came into this country and perverted a generation. They do not want to hear the word of God. So they've heaped to themselves a pile of teachers. Look at that. that. That's a powerful passage. Get us out of the way. We don't want to follow that old way anymore. That's, the, that's what was going to happen. So Paul is telling Timothy, a minister, you be instant. Don't you dare back off. It doesn't matter what they think about it. You just keep on going. It doesn't matter how they treat you. You be long-suffering and put up with some suffering. You suffer through it just like Jeremiah and Ezekiel did, who suffered for years and years without a receptive audience. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And more could be said on that, but I'll tell you what, Romans chapter 1 and verse 25 tells me that those people who change the truth of God into a lie, which is done in so many churches, that is the cause of sodomy in our nation. Right. Romans 1, 25. Ministers should resemble scriptural fathers. Let me close up with a few descriptions of what it means to be an instant preacher. Ministers should resemble scriptural fathers. Joshua stood before all the people of Israel and he said, Choose you this day. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. He laid it out to them in very black and white opportunities. Whether it's the gods that your fathers served on the other side of the flood, serve them. Or the Lord, serve him. Make whatever choice you want to. That sound familiar? Make whatever choice you want to, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Black and white. Not this vague line of everyone has a different way to come to God. How many have ever heard that? Yeah. Everyone has a different way to come to God. Joshua didn't know about them, poor man. He was so ignorant. He only thought there were two. The gods that his fathers had worshipped on the other side of the Euphrates River and the Lord God of Jehovah himself. Amen. But they laid it out there, didn't they? Look at Deuteronomy 27. If you hurry, I'll hurry. <laughs> Deuteronomy 27, beginning at verse 14. Here's how ministers lay out the black and white. Deuteronomy 27, 14. The Levites shall speak and shall say unto all the men of Israel with a loud voice. It doesn't say a pretty voice or a charming voice. It's just a loud voice. Cursed. That's not a nice way to start a message. What an introduction. This morning was rude preachers. All of them including our Lord. Right. Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. There's preaching for you. Right. Cursed be anyone that sets light by his father or his mother. 
anyone who is disrespectful to his father or his mother should be cursed and is worthy of death. And all the people shall say, Amen. Now that sounds like a united preaching service. Right. When all the people are saying, Amen. Moses was a lucky man. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All the people shall say amen as they went through these black, these curses of curse be the man that makes a molten image and puts it in the secret place and has it hidden as his house. May God's curse be upon that man and the whole congregation has to say amen. Can you, do you know how powerful of a service that is? There's a man that's got an idol in a secret cupboard and he's standing there. Brethren, they had seen Jehovah come down in fire. They had seen the earth open up and swallow men. And all the people said, Amen. The guy on his right saying amen. The guy behind here saying amen. And, and he says amen. If, what, if he doesn't say amen, what are they all going to do around him? So he says amen. He calls God's curse down on his own head. That's quite a worship service. Right. And it just runs right on down through here. Listing a number of sins. Look at Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah 13. What does it mean to be insistent that men do what is right? Well, Nehemiah gives us quite an example. Do you remember it? Some of you do. You're laughing with holy laughter. Nehemiah. Let's see if we can see a few things in one chapter. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 11. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Nehemiah 13, 11. I contended with the rulers. That's instant preaching. I fought. To contend with somebody is to earnestly fight and oppose them in what they're doing. Right. That was verse 11. Look at verse 17. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Can't the guy ever say anything nice? Can't he tell the nobles of Jerusalem, Listen, I really like you guys. You're really special to me. Look at him, because he's setting things straight that are wrong. So verse 11 is contending with them. Verse 17 is contending with them on another point of error. And then we come to verse 25. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Amen. Now, I haven't ever got not even close to that because I'm just a little pansy in comparison to Nehemiah. Look at Nehemiah. He contended with them, cursed them, smote, he hit them, and he plucked off their hair and he made them swear by God, the Lord Jehovah himself, that they would not have any marriages outside the Lord. Right. I've preached as hard as I know how that we cannot make that error, but look at how far Nehemiah took it. It's the salvation of our families, and it's worth fighting for. Amen. This is, you know how, you know that's the only man that probably loved most of those foolish people? Nehemiah loved them. Do you know what the Bible says? If the righteous smite me, I'll consider it a kindness. Amen. He's not done. Verse 28, And one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Now that is a pretty good minister. That's a rude preacher, and that's a man insistent on doing what is right. 
Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Oh, brethren, I've scratched the surface of a list that I have here. 80 references, and I just used two, and it's time to quit. My entire life story. Luke chapter 3. I don't care if any minister ever comes along behind me and can use some work. I've tried to put, I've tried to spade a field for him. He can go and plant something pretty. I don't know how to get it done. Luke 3.10. Here's John the Baptist. And the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? You know what, most ministers, when most ministers are asked today, what should we do? Well, let's not go too far. I don't want you to go too far. You know, as long as you keep it in its proper place. And what does all that mean? Here's what John the Baptist said. What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. If you've got any stuff at home, go give it to the poor. Right. You know, that cuts a crowd down really quick. This is John the Baptist. This is the first Baptist preacher and what he was like when you went to him and said, what should we do? Right. He didn't just say, go home and read your Bible. <laughs> he had a little more for him. If you've got stuff, give some of it to the poor. Verse 12, then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. Whoa, you mean take a pay cut by 80%? Yes, that's what I meant because a publican was a tax collector for the Roman government. You know, how did, how did any citizen know what was really due from his family to the Roman government? He went to the publican, and the publican said, I want a 1,000 talents. Now, the Roman government had only required 200, but the publican said 1,000. And so the publican stole from the people, and the people hated the publicans. That is why the publicans, which were tax collectors, Jews who were tax collectors for Rome, would we like, listen, if we had tax collectors living here that were tax collectors for Fidel and they came to your house, would you like them? No. Well, that's what it was like here. Zacchaeus had robbed the people, remember? As soon as he popped down out of the tree, all the people started murmuring about him, what a great thief and sinner he was. Well, he looked around like this because he was just a little guy. And he looked around and he said, Lord, half of my goods... I give to the poor right now, and if I've wronged any man, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, salvation's come to this house today. Right. That a tax collector would do anything like that. But look what John the Baptist had to say to tax collectors. He said, exact no more than what Rome has told you to charge. That's taking an enormous pay cut. I hope, see, see, I try to explain the sense of the word of God. Look what it does to me. I know it's the right thing to do. Amen. But I wanted you to know what that verse meant. A publican was a tax collector. I want your children to know what a publican was. When the Bible says, among the men, the publicans were the greatest sinners, and among the women, the, the harlots were, I want you to understand what kind of people flocked to Jesus Christ. Right. Jesus came and saved publicans and harlots. A traitor to his own nation. A Jew that would collect taxes for Rome and then steal on top of it. Verse 14, the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. You know, some pacifist will jump into that verse and say, See, 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 it says do violence to no man. 
that meant they were to lay down their swords and go back to Rome and take up farming. No, that's not what John said. He, what, they weren't to take advantage of the populace of the Jews and to take things that didn't belong to them. They were to be content with their wages, which have always been low. The military is always paid low for obvious reasons, but they're paid very lowly. But when they're in a foreign country, they're tempted to steal from the people. John the Baptist has an answer for every one of them because he is an insistent, instant preacher. Luke 11. Every verse that we read, there has to be a sense put on it. What, is it, what does it say back there in Nehemiah 8.8? 8? And they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. I just read a verse that has caused people to go astray and to be pacifists that needs to be explained. You've got to go back and look at the whole thing and see other places in the Bible where God doesn't forbid a man serving his country by joining the military. Luke 11, beginning at verse 45, I want you to see the insistence of the Lord Jesus Christ. This will fit this morning's sermon as well. I want you to enjoy this because this is the greatest preacher that ever walked this earth. Amen. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And listen to him, brethren, and enjoy this. Now, he's just said into the Pharisees. Can you see that in verse 42? You see it in verse 42? He's just blasted the Pharisees. Can you see it in verse 43? Do you see what those verses start out with? Woe unto you, Pharisees, with an exclamation point. So he's just, he's just blasted the Pharisees. Now, now watch this, verse 45. Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saying, thou reproachest us also. Jesus the way you just said into those Pharisees, you hurt our feelings too. You want to watch the Son of God behind the pulpit? They want, they want ministers to be Christ-like? Watch. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers! Exclamation point. For ye laid men with burdens grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touched not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, exclamation point, for ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchres. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation." from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered in not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. And as he said these things with them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. There's the scorners wanting to catch him. But did you see the Lord Jesus Christ? Was he an instant preacher? Amen. The lawyers came to him and said, Now listen, when you were just picking on the Pharisees, which we enjoyed very much, but it, it kind of offended us a little bit too. Look what he did. He turned right on them and pointed out all the things that they were doing wrong. The, the, the Pharisees were the religious leaders that were leading them in improper worship of God, and the lawyers were in improper application of the law of God. And he tore into both groups. Now that is instant preaching. That is being insistent and pressing upon all men that he faced. The Lord Jesus Christ required righteousness of all men. And I could continue on with many examples 
but I am out of time. Instant preaching is contending, commanding, charging, reproving, rebuking, exhorting, threatening, provoking, like a fire, like a hammer, stubborn, negative, angry, and sarcastic with an average of four to five witnesses on every one of those points. Right. That is instant preaching. Amen. And God's ministers have done it. And when God's ministers do it, they are free from the blood of all the men that hear them. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 26, I am free from the blood of all men. Because every opportunity he had, he declared the whole counsel of God. When it was Festus, he didn't try to give Festus a history of the Jews where Festus could have, been, could have been encouraged and appreciated Paul's literary ability and his historical knowledge of the history of the Jewish nation. Paul didn't do anything like that. Paul got in that man's face and reasoned of righteousness and temperance. And what was the third one? Judgment to come. And what did Felix do when he heard that message? Trembled. Trembled. That is an instant preacher. I hope that you love the instant preachers that God has raised up from the foundation of the world, Amen. beginning with Abel, right. who preached righteousness against his brother and his brother killed him for it, right on down to the Lord Jesus Christ who preached righteousness and they killed him for it. I love every one of you. My greatest ambition is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he is pleased with this congregation, not only in total and whole, but in every single part of it. And that in the meantime, you can live a life filled with happiness and peace in the Holy Ghost and have the prosperity and success in your families that follows true righteousness. I do care about all of you. There's only one way to get there. There's 168 hours in a week. You're going to walk out of here right now and you're going to be hit by a tidal wave of temptation and false doctrine from the world. I have two shots. I do the best I can. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. Pray for me that while I'm gone, the Lord will stir me up even further and I can come back and be the best pastor possible Amen. for this church. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.